summon Slifer the Sky Dragon in attack position. This is Bizarre Podcast Dogs Must Die. My name is Grant, you can call him Chip, and we are continuing on the latest and greatest uh, stand fights of the Stardust Crusaders in Egypt. Actually, how how many episodes has it been since we've had a joke episode? (laughs) It feels like it hasn't been that long. Iggy is comic relief in the previous two episodes, but that was like a real fight. The last one was The Sun. I think that's also the last time we talked about three episodes uh, at a time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're getting back to, to both of those things with episodes 27 through 29. And episode 27 is Knoom's Oingo and Thoth's Boingo. This is just a thing. Yeah. The possession is is reversed. Like, the, these are users that belong to the stand. And that's going to get more complicated and more interesting in the, the fight after this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll save that for then. Uh, it basically kicks off right where the previous episode ended. Where we, mm-hmm, we've mm-hmm. got the brothers Oingo and Boingo, again, localized to Zenyatta and Mandata. I can't wait for these episodes to be shared, and then people will tell us why that is. I don't. I I feel like I've tried to look it up before and figure out why they were renamed that, and I could not figure it out. Just want to extend a personal thank you to to all the people who told me that the captain in Captain Tennille's actual <laughs> real life surname is Dragon, which explains that. Yeah, we 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 got the the brothers here. We got the older big one who's Oingo, and the little one who is Boingo. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep calling them that because it, a, it's a way better name. <laughs> yes. But yeah, they, they are riding on the bus. Trying to get to Aswan, home of <laughs> yeah. you know the famous dam, which is where they are told and fated to meet uh, uh, the Joestar group. Boingo's uh, uh, future-telling comic book stand. Mm-hmm. Thoth. And the, the book is saying that the bad guys are, are five protagonists here, or six, I guess, with Iggy. They are going to go to a cafe and drink poisoned tea and die. Also, as they read these pages, there's a pterodactyl with some titties? Wait, is there? How did I miss yeah, that? Yeah, there is. Wait, I gotta go back and look at this. <laughs> it's very early in the episode. Oh, look at that! What the <laughs> fuck is that? Why is that? Oh my god, I never noticed <laughs> The pterodactyl with boobs in the background of this comic book panel. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That seems biologically incorrect. Yeah. Hmm. You don't watch this show. You don't read this this comic for, for the paleontology. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. I do like the next panel. It appears to have a frog smoking in, in the bottom left corner. Uh, That's real, though. Frogs do that all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but now, now is when we learn what Oingo can do, or rather what Oingo's stand can do. He is super confident in the deadly abilities of, uh, of the two of them combined. His brother with the ability to know what's going to happen vaguely in the near future. And him with the ability to change the appearance of his face. <laughs> yep. That's less than half of what Yellow Temperance can do, uh-huh. and he got his shit wrecked, okay? <laughs> yeah. This guy is specifically, it's only his face and, like, his head, like, his hair that he can change. The rest of him, always just a tall buff guy. Cannot change mm-hmm. it. With a ridiculous hat. Oh, a really goofy hat. Really, really long, skinny brim that sticks out to the side. You know the trucker hat meme where, like, you put too much words on the trucker hat so you got to make it super tall? Mm-hmm. He wears that. That's his hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's his hair is just as tall as the hat is, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they are confident that they just need to go to a cafe and, and poison some drinks. And so th- this dude just walks into a random cafe 
and, and just bashes the, the restaurant worker there over the back of the head with a pan and kills him. Yeah, I mean, who needs a stand when you can just beat people bloody? It, yeah. If it works, it works. He's he's like looking at, at Boingo's comic book to figure out which table it is that the, the gang is going to be sitting at. Mm-hmm. And I like that, you know, he just established like, hey, I can change my face. And for this first plan of theirs to poison them, he doesn't do any of that shit. <laughs> he's He just pretends to be like the guy working at the restaurant. He's keeping it up his sleeve. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have been introduced to both of their stands at this point. So let's talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's talk about uh, Thoth, the god of wisdom, writing, hieroglyphs, science, magic, art, judgment, and the dead. Uh, very busy guy, this, this oh, Thoth. Man. He's depicted uh, with the head of an ibis. Okay. It's just the god that's picking up everything else no one else is doing, I guess. Yeah. It's just the leftovers of duties. And uh, Knum is the god of the source of the Nile. Oingo calls him the god of creation because that kind of, uh, yeah. uh, by being god of the source of the Nile, that uh, uh, he is associated with, you know, life and plenty. In fact, one of his godly duties is like... Uh, uh, sculpting babies from clay on a potter's wheel and then placing them in the bellies of pregnant women to be born. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. He is depicted with the head of a ram. After last season's stands, all of the the major arcana named stands, Mm -hmm. their card art is essentially Iraqi's interpretation and in some cases subversion of traditional tarot art. Yeah. Whereas the, the cards we get shown for all these uh, Egyptian god named stands are very reserved, actually, very yeah. <laughs> inspired by uh, uh, Egyptian temple art and and uh, hieroglyphs. It, it seems far more, I don't know, respectful. Not not that the others were disrespectful, yeah. but reserved, they, I guess. <laughs> like this card art doesn't even hide a lucky land anywhere in them. Yeah, they're just like yeah. it's just like. What you would expect, really. Uh, which, yeah, is uh, I didn't even realize that until you just pointed out that it's far more <laughs> respectful or whatever. <laughs> so while they're setting up the, the cafe, we see Jotaro, Joseph, and Polnareff walking down the street. <laughs> Both Abdul and Kakuin are in the hospital. Abdul's going to be okay. He's just got some like cuts and stuff. Uh, but they're worried about Kakuin because he might lose his sight. Mm-hmm. And they're just talking about how they, they're worried that they might have to leave him behind. Leaving Kakuin behind right now is basically saying, this shitty dog that hates us all is better than you. We would rather <laughs> hang out with him than you. Yeah. Polnareff is smoking. Mm-hmm. Never seen him smoke before, but he's decided to pick it up, I guess. Because Jojo is that cool. Yeah. He's a bad influence, that boy. <laughs> you, know, you know, they're talking about all that, that stuff about their friends being in the hospital, and then they're like, just like, oh, you know, let's go to a cafe. Which one do we go to? There's a bunch here. Polnareff just takes a cigarette, just flicks it on the ground just to see where it lands and where it's pointing to, mm-hmm. uh, just on a whim. And it's, it is the cafe that they are fated to go to. This is fun. This is a fun way to explore a new place. I, I, I knew somebody once who would, like, uh, uh, explore a new city by spinning a bottle on a corner and then just walking until she got bored of walking in that direction and do it again. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I've never tried anything like that. Maybe I should should sometime. <laughs> Not here, though. <laughs> you just wind up on a highway entrance ramp like, God damn it. Oh, man, another strip mall. There's nothing to see over here. One of two Walmarts? Oh. <laughs> I've seen this one already. 
So they sit down in the cafe. Oin goes there to serve them. Again, has not changed his face or anything because they, ha- they haven't seen him yet, I guess. With a hat that looks like he plays for Pharrell's baseball team. <laughs> you know, Oin goes just sitting there with their, his back to them, just sweating, hoping that they order the tea. Mm-hmm. And they're about to order the tea. And Joseph goes like, no, 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 wait. Dio's minions are everywhere. What if the, our tea got poisoned? We don't want that. <laughs> from now on, anytime we order drinks from a place... We're going to get stuff that's sealed, either in bottles or cans, so that we know that like it's safe and hasn't been, been tampered with. So he orders a round of Coca-Colas, something mm. that has never let him down. Love those Coca-Colas. Ordering the Cokes, and Oingo is Im- immediately like freaks out, starts losing <laughs> it, sweating profusely. He acts like Coke killed his family. <laughs> yeah. And depending on where he lives, that might be accurate. Yeah. So he, he's trying to get the Coca-Cola bottles out, trying to figure out how he can spin this into them getting tea instead. And, oh, phew, one of the other customers at the restaurant starts complaining loudly that the Coke is warm because the refrigerator mm-hmm. is busted. And we all know that Joseph hates hot cola. It is previously established. It. Yeah. So now that the Coke isn't good enough... Uh, <laughs> A discussion goes around, and, and Polnareff is like, come on, you're paranoid. Just because we're being hunted is no reason not to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way on earth that Dio's minions could guess where we are already. We didn't even know we were going to get here. Yeah. And, like, this would carry so much more weight if it was coming from anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Wh- Polnareff, how did you find them at that restaurant in Hong Kong? Yeah, whenever Polnareff suggests something... Like do the opposite. Polar F, how did Soul Sacrifice know you would get that hotel room? <laughs> yeah. I guess he climbed to the side of the building, maybe. <laughs> Joseph's like, you know what? I don't care. There, there's no such thing as being too paranoid when it comes to, to, to this. Let's just go to a different cafe and get Coke there. Mm-hmm. They go out. There's a cafe across the street, and it's on fire. <laughs> it's burst into flames. And it's on fire because some maniac left a lit cigarette in the street and it set their garbage on fire. <laughs> Who could have done that? And it's even Polnareff himself who's like, wow, what kind of asshole would do that? <laughs> and so after everything's on fire, it's like, okay, fine, we'll just have the tea. I kind of would appreciate it if they made Polnareff just slightly smart enough to, to make that a, a very self-conscious uh, a deflection of guilt, like <laughs> trying in vain to convince the other people it was some other guy's cigarette. But no, yeah. he's just, he does not get it. Yeah. They go back in to have the tea. They very slowly, like in slow-mo, are starting to tip all the teacups at the same time. Uh, and it's been poisoned. And just as the liquid barely starts to flow in into their mouths, uh, Iggy jumps into the mm-hmm. restaurant and steals some people's food and fucks the place up and runs away with it. And Iggy's new design, Iggy's new character yeah. design that we're going to be seeing for a while is adorable. He's cute. He's cute now. He's impossibly cute now. So it's it's a it's a little dog, very little and like round and cute looking, but he's got yes. like an anime girl's face. Yes. <laughs> almost. And a big old head and his little ears. Oh my goodness. Yeah, his proportions have t- changed from shitty dog to cute dog. 
It's great. So so the people he stole from start throwing plates at him. <laughs> They're trying to kill this dog, breaking a bunch of dishware that isn't theirs. That's going on your bill, ma'am. As Iggy does this, everyone spits the tea out. They all do a simultaneous yeah. spit take <laughs> and, and chase after him. So... There goes Thoth that plan. seems a mite unreliable. Like, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, fulfilling the letter of the prediction, but not necessarily in the way one might expect. The, yeah. it's, the, the artist drew it with a monkey's paw, I think. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Because Thoth can only predict the, the very near future, you know, sometimes the results aren't what, what you're hoping for. So they just consult the book again, going like, okay, what's the next step in, in killing these guys? And the comic book just says, oh, some weird nerd is walking by the street and you hate his face, so you punch him uh, and take his money. <laughs> and so they just do what the comic book says uh-huh, <laughs> and punch uh-huh. this dude in the face. And they steal and his wallet full of money. <laughs> yeah. We got to talk about the vibe between these two brothers because it's the best part of the episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Neither of them are b- smart. No, no. Uh, they are a perfect double act of two. They are so entirely convinced that they are the most powerful stand users. <laughs> Unstoppable. Because they, they see everything coming. That's the way uh, uh, Thoth works. Mm-hmm. And Oingo, he can even imitate the smell of people by changing his face. Yeah, yeah. Which is important, I guess. They, they have a song, they have a dance, they're constantly hyping one another up, but mostly celebrating themselves as a unit, the Oingo Boingo brothers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's like a little tick that Boingo has where he, he reads what's going to happen and it sounds like it's going in their favor and he starts like cackling in a weird way, like he's just about to fucking lose it. Yes, yes. <laughs> And his bigger brother just is just like, oh, that's just normal. I love my mm-hmm. brother. <laughs> what one of the sub and dub script differences I thought was interesting is that the subscript changes Oingo and Boingo to Zenyatta and Mandata regularly because mm-hmm. they're always talking about themselves. So so it follows that very closely. Whereas the dub script, because I guess it recognizes that those are dumb names. <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe it's just too many syllables for lip flaps. Restructure sentences to avoid using the proper nouns whenever it can. Uh, uh, Much more big bro and little bro than actually saying Zenyatta and Mandata. Yeah, that's interesting to know. I love that uh, at the interstitial here, you you get to see the stats of Oingo's Mm -hmm. stand. And one category has A and everything else is E. (laughs) It sucks. It's bad. It sucks. It sucks. I mean, it sucks at the things that are measured by the stats. He can change his face. What does that mean for attack power? Nothing. Yeah. But before that interstitial comes up, they they check the book again because another page is starting to fade into into existence. And it just says like, oh, the the Oingo Boingo brothers continue their pursuit of the bad men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oingo makes a bomb out of an orange and plants it in their car and it blows up Jotaro. Naturally, it splits his head in two. Yeah, splits him and clean down the middle. So they're like, okay, time to build a bomb. This is going to be great. We're going to kill Chodor. Yeah, they're super excited about the orange bomb plan, especially because the page faded in so clearly. I guess that means it's more likely to happen or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oingo just walks up to their cool new like buggy car they've been driving with a wrench, just smacks the door handle clean off with one blow, and that mm-hmm. just pops the door open. And yeah, out of his pocket, he pulls out 
an orange that he has cut the top open. It's been hollowed out and bomb components have been put inside the orange. The trigger of the bomb is that once the the, uh, peel is pierced, it starts Mm -hmm. a three second fuse that will explode. (laughs) I fucking love this stupid bomb orange planet. It's so dumb. It's You can't deny fate. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But yeah, there's already a bag of oranges that they, they bought sitting in the back seat. Once you see Oingo, who is a huge guy, inside the car, the car looks massive inside because <laughs> he is on all fours, crawling around in the back seat, and he's only taken up like a, maybe half of this this car seat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Joseph and Polnareff show up, and they see somebody's in the back seat of the car, and they're yelling at him like, "Hey, get the fuck out! Who are you?" You, you hear some stretching noises and, and other sound effects, and Boingo's tall, goofy hat pokes up from the other side of the car. And then the rest of him appears, and it's just Jotaro with a very tall hat. Yeah. But in yeah. Oingo's clothes. Now, that's what I call hat hair. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in order to, to fulfill the prophecy, he has to be Jojo for a while. Yeah. So so that this bomb can get to the real Jojo and kill him dead. Yeah. He uh, he's trying to make up a bunch of excuses as to why Jojo, as to why he's there. Because they're like, oh, you already left for the for the hospital. And he's trying to make up excuses like, oh, I forgot uh, my wallet. And I had to go to the dry cleaner. That's why I'm wearing a T-shirt that says the name of my stand. I mean, an enemy <laughs> stand. <laughs> he loves his stand so much he made merch of his own stand. Yeah. What a hero. I, I love Oingo's outfit because it's just like uh, it's like Vegeta's pink shirt with uh, a cutoff denim vest with pop collar on top of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's good. So he's really trying to find a way to get out of the situation, but they're getting in the car. They're about to go to the hospital and oh shit, like Oingo and Boingo like make eye contact and they're really, they're sweating profusely again. Okay, guess I got to get in the car and pretend to be Jojo for a bit. Try to say I'm going to take a walk, but Polnar just dragged me right into the car. <laughs> So now they're driving, and Polnareff and Joseph are starting to notice things are a little off with their friend. And and this is this is really the whole episode, this car ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And after all of the paranoia they had about the possibility of poison tea, there's no reason Oingo shouldn't have been stabbed by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's funnier this way. So oh, we, yeah. So we go along with it. So once they start driving, Oingo, disguised as Jojo, is in the back seat, and he just grabs the bomb orange he planted, and he just drops out the window. Phew, no more bomb problem. I'm not mm-hmm. going to blow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, except Iggy was chasing the car, grabbed the orange in his mouth, and then hopped back up into the car with the, the orange in his mouth. <laughs> Which bothers me, because that means they abandoned Iggy. <laughs> <laughs> Like, he was already just, a, like, a wild stray earlier in the episode, just running around, like, Two heroes to of the Speedwagon Foundation died to deliver them this this dog. I mean... This dog that has saved their lives already more times than they know. Iggy is a smart dog. Maybe they just trust him to, sh- to come back up. I mean, he has twice already, so... <laughs> it's a smart dog. Yeah, I- Iggy jumps back up with the, the orange. I'm curious what this is in the, the English... Mm-hmm. In the Japanese dub, once Oingo sees the orange is back in the car, he just kind of freaks out and makes some weird noises that are supposed to be very uncharacteristic of Jojo. I think the subtitles just say yow. 
but I don't know if that's what it is in the English dub. It is. He says, yow. Yow. Okay. And uh, uh, then they question him like, hmm, Jojo would never say yow. And he, <laughs> he, he plays it off. He does his best. Mm-hmm. And they are satisfied. Ah, uh, yes. He, he wasn't saying yow. He was saying there's a, a cow over there because there's a cow on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Uh, and so then Polnareff's like, hey, Jojo. Do the trick, you know, the trick. <laughs> because this is not JoJo. He does not know the trick. Yeah. And so he's getting really freaked out, like, oh, fuck, I got to make up a trick. But then, thankfully, Polnareff goes, oh, you know, this trick. Lights a cigarette, puts it in his mouth, and then with his mouth only, flips the cigarette into his own mouth with his tongue. Mm-hmm. And then, like, starts shooting smoke out of his nostrils. And and uh, fake JoJo is like, oh, whoo. I know that trick. Lucky me. <laughs> he starts being too cool uh, about it, uh, ready to do the trick. And Polnareff's like, okay, if you're so hot, then do, do that version with five cigarettes again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? And and this just makes me wonder what this scene looks like to uh, uh, regions that have to censor the smoking as well. Because this must oh be God. incomprehensible. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the scene hinges on the cigarette trick. On five cigarettes coming out of this guy's mouth, then going into this guy's mouth as he's basically tongue juggling his coffin nails. And eventually (laughs) he does it. He makes it. Uh, He surprises himself at his uh, uh, cigarette dexterity uh, while uh, uh, his internal monologue curses, damn that Jotaro and his stupid party tricks. (laughs) I would like a full list of all of his stupid party tricks, please. Yeah, I really on my desk. Yeah, give me a whole side episode that's just him doing those. Hey Jojo, remember that time you rode a flaming unicycle over a shark's back? Do it again. <laughs> it's really easy with Star Platinum. <laughs> so yeah, he he's flipped all five cigarettes into his mouth with just his, just his tongue. Yay, he did it. And then Polnareff goes, okay, now do the version where you drink this juice without extinguishing the cigarettes in your mouth. (laughs) How much have they spent just on cigarettes for cigarette (laughs) tricks on this journey? All that Speedwagon money is just getting written off on cigarettes for tricks. (laughs) And it's really, this scene is funny just to see a guy who looks like Jotaro just losing his shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not only it not being him, but just having a, a rubber face, face-changing stand. You have the perfect excuse for all these very ridiculous, goofy as hell, like off-model JoJo faces. Yeah, you know, th- this is JoJo's voice actor doing all of this stuff, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is also pretty fun. But yeah, he, he isn't able to do the, the, the juice part of the trick. He fucks it up. Everyone is still just mildly like, hmm... Joe just seems weird. <laughs> the the brothers think at each other. They they are so in yeah. tune. They might as well have a psychic connection about like uh, uh, holding on and like no, nah, we're, we're gonna blow him up with a bomb. It's gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just trying to think of how to get himself out of the car. And while he's freaking out, he like clasps his hands together, mm-hmm. and Polnareff immediately goes, "Hey." Your left thumb is over your right thumb. And he grabs Oingo's hands. And he's just thinking like, oh, shit, they fucking caught me. Does, do, they, do they know that Jojo does the opposite? What did I do wrong? 
And then Polnareff, you know, he didn't actually notice anything was wrong. He's just like, hey, having your left thumb over your right means that in your previous life you were a woman. See, my ha- my right thumb goes over my left when I clasp my hand, so I was a dude of my previous life. Now, if, if reincarnation is a regular process and souls have lived dozens of lives, isn't it a near certainty you've been of more than one gender? Oh, yeah. Nobody brings this up to Polnareff because he's dumb and it's a dumb idea anyway. <laughs> yeah. But even Joseph, like, gets in on this, goes like, really? That sounds like bullshit to me. And it again, doesn't have his hands on the wheels or anything while driving. <laughs> this doesn't come up in the story. The car drives straight. It's fine. I just think it's really funny that, like, there's a whole scene when it's like, okay, Jojo, do the trick, where Joseph's just looking behind him and not looking at the road at all either. And if I am Oingo right now, I'm just, just I'm deciding to just bail, go to Dio and say, these guys are dumbasses. Just do your fight. Do not worry about them. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. fucking morons. Yeah. So at this point, uh, Polnareff grabs the orange that Iggy brought in, the, the, the bomb orange, and goes, hey, Jojo, bet I can eat an orange faster than you. It's just party trick after stupid, like, dude challenge. Whenever How you're in far a, a, away is this hospital? You got to yeah. kill this much time. Just turn on the radio. Yeah. And, and Oingo's trying to convince Polnareff to not eat that bomb orange uh, and he's just like, actually, you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat that one. You know, that one, I- Iggy bought that one. It's all dirty and it's covered in dog spit. And Polnareff's just like, it looks clean. I'll eat it. It's fine. The good stuff is on the inside of the peel anyway. Like, come on. Yeah. It's an orange. Yeah. Oingo's just running out of options at this point. So he starts faking that he, his, he has really bad stomach pains. He's really sick. Just stop the car. <laughs> I have to get out. He jumps. He's just flailing around, losing his shit. He's in the front seat, uh, like, flailing on top of Polnareff now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much like Jotaro has done many times before. Yeah, he just leaps... Just a spitting image. <laughs> he leaps out of the car, and just as he's about to run away, both of them go like, hey, fucking stop right there. They look real serious. Long pause as he thinks he's getting caught, and then they're just like, here's some toilet paper. This is just an incredible episode, because it's... The the concept is, this is a stand fight that they don't know they're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are winning. Luigi wins the fight by doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's what this is. They push no buttons, they win. After they go like, oh, here's some toilet paper. The animation for Oingo grabbing that toilet paper and running away is just as, just as fluidly animated as the time a uh, whole horse runs away really fast. It's like super dynamic looking and, f- and fluid. They put so many mm-hmm, frames mm-hmm. into it. Oingo's just running away. He's crying tears of joy. He's <laughs> safe now. He's away from the orange. He's away from the car. He's just going to hide behind a big rock. There's this incredible like dramatic tension, right? With, with how these brothers are so very sure of themselves and their skills. These unstoppable killers. But they don't do anything (laughs) yeah they follow a script they half understand and whether it succeeds or fails has nothing to do with them Mm -hmm. like it really draws you into to ask like what they know that that hasn't been revealed to us or what is it about them that they see the world differently and and, you know all the questions of questions that naturally rise out of you know a, a story like this about predestination and fate and like I don't think that the show is uninterested in these things, Mm -hmm. but I think it is not on the agenda for today. (laughs) 
No, yeah. The seed of those questions are still planted in you, and I think it's what they're clearly seeing or thinking something that that is not there to my eyes, and that's what makes them interesting. I, I want to yeah, know more. Yeah. Yeah, I I like these two a lot. Uh, And it's funny that those questions are being brought up in what is just like kind of a joke fight, joke episode. Yes. (laughs) You know, Owen goes hiding behind the rock and he just says, I'll, you know, I'm going to meet you at the hospital. Just go on without me. Uh, I have to take a really bad shit behind this rock. Yes. So they drive off and Polnareff looks at that orange he's about to eat and goes, you know what? This actually is a gross orange. Tosses it out the window and it fucking lands right next to Oingo as he's running and he steps on it. And three seconds later, it blows up and his face gets all fucked up and sp- and, and split in half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think Toth doesn't like them very much. Yeah, it, it just does not go good for them. And like <laughs> Oingo's still alive. Like his his fake face that he made got split in half, but his normal face is fine. He's just very smoky, like a Looney Tunes character. But if the fake face, which is his stand, is split in half, wouldn't his real face also be split oh, in God. half? Yeah, because that's damage he took. Oh, yeah. man. Boingo catches up with him and says like hey d- don't worry you know we we haven't lost yet my my comic book is still predicting events for us mm-hmm. the comic book predicts that the the nerd that they punched in the face earlier comes back and is going to beat them up and he appears right next to them with a bunch of big muscly goons he hired to beat them up and also the the uh, guy whose cafe that they uh, uh, commandeered yes. for a while. Yeah, yeah. Thoth really does not like them very much. The the comic book just ends with them like, oh, they're about to get beaten up, and then they just like embrace each other, the, the brothers, and it just fades to black as they're <laughs> as they're about to get pummeled to death. And it ends with yet another rim shot. It's been a while, yes. but they're back. Yeah, there, there's another Badumtis at the end of this because. Uh, Joseph and Polnareff arrive at the hospital and the real Jojo is already there and there's a bunch of confusion about that and as they're walking up to the the hospital entrance an ambulance comes by and it's the brothers in there they're still alive (laughs) but they're on stretchers they're all fucked up Polnareff and Joseph recognize the clothes on Oingo and they're just like don't don't we know those clothes from somewhere do you know him and they're just like ah nah whatever (laughs) weren't we just accusing Jojo of wearing those clothes a minute ago (laughs) <laughs> ah whatever ah whatever and mm. then we get a, a very special end credits with these with the oingo boingo theme song yeah they get their own song in the special end, end credits oh, it's so okay. good it's so yeah, good it's it's all in the style of the the comic book art it's like it's like the theme song to a very special oingo boingo show which is what this episode basically has been you know it, it's all yeah. told from their perspective with uh, our usual heroes as, as these traveling outsiders instead of the focus of it all. So if there were a cartoon with these two going on globetrotting adventures for Dio or whoever else, th- this would be the theme tune. And it's so good. Yep. It's really good. I, I love that they went the extra mile and, and made that. And the song is being sung, if I remember correctly, by the actual voice actors of Oingo and Boingo yes. as well. Yes, and it is about yeah. them and their yeah. abilities and how much they love each other and how fucking <laughs> awesome they are. The version of Oingo and Boingo in the comic book looks nothing like them, basically. <laughs> Boingo is this weird short little gremlin with... Uh, with pigtails? With neon blue pigtails. So the I figured out what this art style looks like. It looks like an even more ne- it looks like a neon, more grotesque version of the Klasky Chupo art style, like Rugrats yes, and stuff. Yes. It looks like that, but more grotesque. <laughs> uh, more knobby, lots of knobs uh-huh, on guys. Uh-huh. 
This is the concept art that got smoothed out into Class Geek Supo. <laughs> yeah, I really like the Oingo Boingo episode. But moving right along to episode 28, Anubis, part one. Thank God for a one-word title. Yay! These last titles have basically been poetry. Like, mm-hmm. the full stanzas of poetry. So, Anubis, part one, we start right in the hospital. Everyone's mm-hmm. visiting Abdul and Kakuyan. Abdul's fine. His injuries are have already... Well enough to be discharged, at least. Yeah. Kakuin is not as good. He's going to have to sit it out for a while. His eyes, he's going to make a full recovery, but it's going to take a long time for his eyes to heal up. He tells a gross story about somebody losing a little bit of eye jelly from a baseball injury. (laughs) Yeah. Not him, just like a friend of his as a kid. Yeah. The eye only lost a bit of fluid. Everyone gets real grossed out by that, and Joseph just goes, No! But Kakuin is telling everybody, keep going on with your, your journey. I will catch up with you later. I think he says it's like 800 kilometers to Cairo or something like that. Mm-hmm. So for a little bit now, we're going to be without Kakuin. He's going to be, he's, he's resting up. But basically, now that we've had him throw all of part one of JoJo, we're swapping him out with Avdol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is a way to sell the greater danger. Like, we've had people get injured before, but they've never had hospital stays, at least not that we've seen. And now an extended one that we got to leave somebody behind on. Oh, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also uh, uh, foreshadowing future danger because, you know, they're they're shorthanded after all. Mm -hmm. They don't have their sneaky little spy shooting emeralds at people. Yeah, all they got is a dog to replace him. A dog that doesn't want to fight. You got to make him do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you got to rub his face on the stand user. Yeah. So uh, they get Kakuin's medical bill, and uh, uh, Polnareff basically shits right there. <laughs> yeah. But why, I must ask, did they give the bill to Polnareff and not, one, the guy who reads Arabic to, to mm-hmm. <laughs> take a look at it, or B, the guy with the money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Polner freaks out by how much the, the bill says they owe after Abdal reads it. Uh, 46,350 Egyptian pounds. It's okay. Joseph brought another luxury car. He's just going to donate it to the hospital and then we're all square. <laughs> I, I imagine at this point, Joseph, like when he pulls his wallet out, there's no bills in there, but rather just like a dozen car keys in there. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all take pink slips. <laughs> uh, and when they're looking at the bill, they, they hear some ladies chatting just out by the entrance and it's just like four nurses all fawning over uh the much cuter now iggy just sitting there slowly chewing gum iggy gets more babes than jojo now that's how it goes yeah heaven forbid some sort of terrible accident befalls my my lovely dear wife but i wouldn't be single for long i've got moki and (laughs) (laughs) it works it could work Mm mm-hmm so Polnareff cannot stand this. He immediately goes over them over there to tell those nurses that that dog sucks, actually. He shouldn't. <laughs> and so Iggy just launches himself six and a half feet up into the air to latch himself onto Polnareff again and just start farting all over the place. And he which looks is, so pleased with himself. The happy little smile he makes when he farts on Polnareff. Yeah. And the nurses love it. They love oh, that yeah, he's farting. Yeah. They think it's, it's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, after that little fart fest there, we get the, the intro, and now the the show, we get the narrator introducing us to some stuff again. It's been a little bit since he's given us a little No, we little don't. Spiel. 
It is Joseph giving us the the geography lesson. We still have not heard the narrator in quite a while. That's right. I forgot. It was was Joseph doing that. I'm just so used to narrator piping in to talk about the Nile. We will by the end of this episode, but not now. Right now, it is Joseph telling us that, you know, the West Bank is full of tombs and graves. The East Bank is full of, of where people actually live. But our enemies will come from all directions. 360 degrees. Mm hmm talking about the the division of the the east and west sides one side's life one side's death but meanwhile there is a crew of people escorting a cow to to market i suppose i don't know where they're taking this cow it's not important what is important is that this somewhat older man and all of his friends are bullying his son shaka (laughs) a young man shaka who seems a, a sweet sensitive boy who doesn't deserve this kind of mistreatment a very huge, buff, sweet, sensitive boy. He's a it big goes boy. without saying, yes. Oh, yeah. And as they're, they're walking, he's getting bullied. He looks to the side of the road and, ooh, what's this? He just found a random-ass sword on the ground. Like a pretty-looking sword. It's a very cool-looking sword. It, it's baller as hell. That sword will fuck you up, or at least it could if people could open it. And like a tug-of-war breaks out over this sword... Uh, who should have it and what should be done with it. Uh, they're, they're talking about the, the sort of fortune it, it could fetch as an artifact if it's sharp. I don't know why sharpness uh, uh, influences <laughs> sale value for ancient artifacts, but hey, I'm not the one who lives in, in a region where that would be an issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of ancient tombs uh, uh, within the city limits of Chicago. Just just Lincoln Park that used to be a a cemetery. And they promised they got all the bodies out in the 1800s. Wink, wink. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it is most certainly sharp. It's sharp enough that the guy who's holding the hilt in this tug of war gets his hand cut somehow. Yeah, the the blade's still in the sheath and he's still like just spewing blood everywhere. Uh, And everyone's getting a little spooked by the sword. Mm Mm-hmm. And Shaka the whole time has been like, can I try? Can, can, can I try pulling this, the sword out of the sheath? Uh, after the argument settles down, it's really a matter of like, who can even get this thing out of the dang sheath anyway? And so Shaka finally gets his turn and it just comes right out. Sword in the stone, sword in the stone style. He, he has been chosen. Yeah, he, he is looking at the blade now and it is subtly like vibrating. It, it's glowing. It has this evil aura around it. It's letting out this ringing sound. Everyone is, is struck by the beauty of this sword mm-hmm. and can't take their eyes off of it. And what follows is somewhere between a, a, a gruesome horror movie and <laughs> a comedy sketch. <laughs> yeah, Which right is on that one line. way you could describe JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because everyone, everyone's just like, ooh, give me that sword. This sword's going to be worth a fortune. And uh, Shaka's father tries to grab the sword. And the sword just, it just goes clean through his chest. He's bleeding profusely. He falls on the ground dead. Another guy goes like, oh, shit, that, that sword, I got to pull it out. And when he kneels down to, like, grab th- this guy to go, like, take him to a doctor, the sword just leans forward and just cleaves right into the dude's head. <laughs> It's just like a weird Rube Goldberg of this sword just falling and people dying. <laughs> just imagine like some banana peel slapstick, but it's a sword cleaving skulls. <laughs> yeah. So this sword introduces itself psychically to Shaka. Yeah. 
This sword is itself the stand Anubis. Anubis, the, the god of death, mummification, embalming, the afterlife, cemeteries, as mentioned earlier, tombs, and the underworld. He is depicted with the head of a jackal. Uh, Anubis may be one of the, as far as reputation goes, top Egyptian gods. Everybody oh, knows yeah. Anubis. Oh, yeah. He's got a long life in mummy movies. <laughs> yeah, Anu- I mean, Anubis fits with this stand. Very mm-hmm, well. mm-hmm. like. The stand itself is the sword, and it has no user. It's a free-roaming stand. Like th- This is a further extension of what a stand can be. You know, it is independent, it is willful, it is seeking a user, it mm-hmm. wants one. So yeah, it, is, it just told Shaka that, you know, he has chosen him to be his new user. Shaka immediately just goes like, he, his whole attitude and personality changes. He's super evil now. Now yeah, he loves yeah. that those everyone's dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the the last guy alive, he decides also needs to die. The guy runs away, hides behind the cow that they were transporting. <laughs> Shaka slices at the cow, and the dude immediately just gets cut clean right down the middle, like sideways. And the and dude's the immortal last words are, quote, somehow the cow is completely unharmed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which will surely be a comfort to his wife and children. Oh, phew. So yeah, Anubis is talking to Shock again, telling him he's a fighting genius, no one's stronger than him. Mm-hmm. And we should mention, on top of the personality change, Shaka uh, has green lips now. Yes. Yeah. He, he gets a, a little bit of a glow up. Yeah. He's a stand user now. He has to look like one. Yeah, he, he's got some eye makeup on now and shit. He, he's looking fine. And so the rest of the gang now has, you know, they've gotten off their boat, mm-hmm. off their little ferry. And they want to go go out for some food. Oh, my notes are a little thin here. There's something about papyrus. I think somebody's trying to sell some, some papyrus to Polnareff. A vendor steps out and tries to sell uh, Polnareff a, a, a perfectly authentic and genuine antique piece of papyrus right. with a, a uh, scene painted on it by one of the great Egyptian craftsmen. Polnareff inspects it, uh, looks around, and then just tears it to shreds and be like, eh, can't do that to papyrus. Your, your shit is fake as hell. <laughs> yeah iggy gets up to some business around here oh yeah he, because i'm sick of all of these muscle hunks interrupting the iggy show iggy's who i tune in to see iggy is very fluidly animated in this episode he does a all little the time we love all the time iggy. basically the staff loves iggy he's just jumping around being a little shit he's got a bunch of chocolate gum in his mouth uh polnareff chases after him and now that polnareff is chased after iggy he's all alone now by some some old ruins, fallen pillars and, and rubble and stuff like that. And then there's this incredible, incredible mood shift as he just starts walking through the ruins. Uh, out of the shadow steps Shaka with with Anubis and, and the mood just suddenly shifts. It's in the lighting. It's in the framing. It's in the music. Almost immediately, it is clear that, that they are dueling without ever having drawn their swords or exchanged yeah. words. It's so good. It, yeah, it's really cool. Like, the, even the line quality of everything here changes. There's a lot more, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot thicker lines around people's faces and stuff. It just looks great. But yeah, they, they both walk deeper into these ruins and stop. Polnareff tells Shaka, like, hey, you should just tell me your name before we fight. As this is happening, you see a little fly land on the, the hilt of the sword, and it just dies. Just yes. touching it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so Anubis announces himself, introduces himself uh, uh, just a little bit. 
Uh, and it becomes clear that the in Egypt part is really all about all the dogs of the world banding together for, for vengeance. <laughs> yeah. First Iggy and now Anubis. These dogs know that the, the universe is out to get them. and They got to band together in any way they can. <laughs> and for some reason, they've all picked Polnareff as, as uh, <laughs> dog enemy number one. So this is a fun pairing uh, of guys to fight because, hey, we've never actually had a real ass sword fight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in any of this we've got two sword users now as it goes uh polnareff and silver chariot are far more skilled as duelists but but shaka wielding anubis is so very fast and so incredibly strong and with such great reach uh uh that he is more than a match and begins to to overwhelm polnareff one of shaka's big tricks is that the sword can selectively go through anything in order to attack something on the other side, much like, say, a cow, for instance. <laughs> Somehow the cow is unharmed. Or a great big stone pillar, in this case. Yeah. Whereas Polnareff's big trick is to leap vertically about 40 feet up to the top <laughs> of one of these pillars. So that he has the high ground and, and all of the advantages that it conveys to, to a stand user and Obi-Wan Kenobi alike. <laughs> there's a shot of Polnareff like basically circle strafing around the pillar trying to cut through it well also because Anubis's sword is just going through the pillar he's kind of sword fighting through the pillar like blocking his attacks yes. and it looks this shot looks so good of him <laughs> like the 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 just running the background of the pillar is 3d but Polnareff you know is being animated within that scene too and it looks really cool mm-hmm mm-hmm but uh, uh, Shaka gets a drop on him and uh, is essentially using this pillar as a shield that, that he can strike through, but Polnareff can't. And mm. so then Polnareff uses his second secret technique. Armor off is the first <laughs> secret technique. Now it's time for his second secret technique to fire the, the uh, uh, foil, uh, the, the pointy bit of his rapier. <laughs> Yeah. It, Out of the hilt, and then it ricochets around and stabs Shaka through the neck, killing him. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the, the way it shoots off, it feels very much like how an action figure shoots a missile out of its gun. Yeah, it's spring-loaded, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like spring-loaded. And he takes a moment to uh, justify his version of Starfinger. Uh, God, yeah, does that ever come up again outside of this fight? I don't think it does. I don't know. It's okay, we'll, we'll have a guest on to, to tell us for sure. <laughs> yeah. So Shaka has been defeated, you know, a sword cleaned through his fucking neck. So Polnareff goes to inspect the sword, going like, wow, why didn't this guy fight me with his stand? And then, uh-oh, you know, picks up Anubis and is struck by the beauty of the blade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you know where this is going. Uh, and Iggy already knows something's up. He's just, he's there just barking his little, now cute, little head off at, at Polnareff. He wants to see that sword naked so bad. Mm-hmm. Mm, he wants to slide that scabbard down real slow. <laughs> oh, no. But then the sword gets rescued by four mice just running away with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every, the, the rest of the gang is, is, has caught up with him. God, I love that it's just rats mm -hmm. going off with that sword. So, yeah, Polnareff sees that. And he's like, hey, don't you fucking steal that sword. And, and he, he picks it back up. You know, they're just talking about a little bit like, wow, we can't let, let our guards down for even a split second. D Dio's guys will come right after us. Good job, Polnareff, killing that guy before we even got here. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so they got to get back on their ship. It's the next day. They've gone to their hotel. Polnareff brought the sword with him. Uh, and he just goes, I'm going to take this sword to the police. 
What are the police going to do with a ghost sword? What are they going to do with that sword? <laughs> but everybody figures, yeah, that's probably the right thing to do, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, so he goes off not alone. We are learning. He takes Jojo, but they don't mm. go directly there. They stop at a barber shop because Polnareff <laughs> needs... Polnareff needs a little shape up. He, he wants a nice relaxing shave. And it means Jojo can sit in the corner and read his Marine Life magazine. Oh, yeah. Marine Life. <laughs> Everybody loves Marine Life magazine. Yeah. Uh, you think he I, got a hankering for it dur- during the submarine adventure? Looking out the uh, window thinking, you know, yeah, f- fish are cool. Maybe. Th- this is funny because uh, I didn't notice this detail until I rewatched it. But like that Marine Life stuff comes up again later. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like to say that does Jotaro like marine life? He's way into it. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas his grandfather is into marina life, the the magazine uh-huh. for men who own several boats. <laughs> yeah, Polnareff's getting like the shave. Uh, he's yelling at the the big burly guy, giving him it because he's just like, "Watch out, dude! You might you know fucking cut my face with that. You got to sharpen that shit." Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. He's got the sword right next to him, just leaning on the barber chair. <laughs> To take it to the police station. Yeah. So as as Polnareff is like laying with, you know, a towel over his face and, and he's all lathered up, the barber's like, oh, you want me to get you under the chin, huh? Under the chin, huh? And the blade he brings to bear is not his newly honed straight razor, but no, it's Anubis. It's the sword ah. Anubis. And this is why home shaving kits are so popular. <laughs> you can't trust these people. It's far less likely that a home kit is going to be possessed by a ghost. And if it's possessed by a ghost, you're possessed by the ghost. Yeah, yeah. So now it is time for episode 29, Anubis Part 2. Jojo picked a bad time for a nap. His friend is about to get decapitated, and that fish magazine put him straight to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this guy, he has the sword. He's holding it with both hands, just drawing it across Polnareff's body. And he's just going to pull it back to just go clean through his neck. But Polnareff jumps, like slips out of the chair and, and jumps and does a flip just as he's pulling the sword down on towards Polnareff's neck and instead drives the sword across his chest, like mm-hmm, an inch mm-hmm. into it. Well, the, the way Polnareff uh, escapes is he, he messes with the chair recline right, yeah. mechanism. He, he just makes it like overextend to go straight flat in a very Jackie Chan move, honestly, is what that is. Yeah, yeah. This is another first for the series. We've never had really a rematch before. We've never had to deal with an opponent that learns. Mm-hmm. And this is what uh, uh, Anubis says is his great advantage. You know, he never loses to the same thing twice. Uh, uh, he, he's he been learning Polnareff's moves all through that first fight and pushed him to the limit. And now he, he's going to fight even better uh, with, with that behind him. Uh, and it's not until, like, Polnareff almost gets beheaded that uh, Jojo actually wakes up. <laughs> But meanwhile, we got to check in with the other crew where Joseph is continuing after all these decades to tease pets with food. <laughs> Still, it's not nice. Yeah. Stop it. That. Stop it. Iggy uh, very tactically sends out a single puff of a fart aimed right at <laughs> Joseph's face like three feet away. It, it just homes in on him. That's his real ability. Yeah. Right after that, it just cuts right back to the fight. We just need that little that little Iggy scene. At this point, Polnareff has figured out that the stand is not the guy, but the sword. There has never been a sword-using stand user before, or a sword that is a stand before. 
Mm-hmm. But Polarev has kept getting in sword fights. <laughs> yeah. Where he is evenly or overmatched. Like, are we sure he's that good a swordsman? Hmm. It seems like his sword is good against everything but sword. Or sword-like. Like the big scissors from Enyaba. She yeah. was holding her own with that. Yeah. He was on the back foot against a living harpoon gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But one of the bystanders, you know, a, a local in this neighborhood, sees this this barber fighting Polnareff and cries out, Hey, Khan, what's wrong? And that struck me as the rarest thing in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure to this point. We have <laughs> an antagonist with friends. We, we have bystanders yeah. giving input. Like, JoJo's is going for this this sort of mythic, heroic storytelling vibe that does not have room for the little people, for the common folk, for the villagers you pass through. Like, yeah, yeah. The anime, by needing uh, to, to add a, a few extra minutes here or there, uh, seems to have softened that. But just the idea of someone saying, hey, Khan, what's wrong? It feels really out of place, or, or maybe not yeah. out of place, but unique, like a, a new thing developing. Mm-hmm. For, for an example of something else that, that has that same sort of vibe, and so that same sort of lack, is like... When when Luke Skywalker's aunt and uncle die, mm-hmm. does anyone else in the world care? Do they have friends? Are, are there right. people like at, at the weekly bridge game? They're like, Where, where's Baru? <laughs> I haven't seen her. Yeah. He doesn't write a note. He doesn't plan a funeral. He just leaves. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the only times I think this ever happens with a fight in any of JoJo, at least up through part five. If the little people ever get involved, it's just to have extra casualties to a fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the the fight has spilled out into the into the streets. Polnareff's getting really worried because every every blow from Khan here with the sword is getting faster and stronger than the last one. Mm-hmm. Jotaro goes fuck this, and <laughs> he pushes. He just shoves Polnareff several feet away from him, gets in the way of Polnareff. Uh, and when Khan is just bringing the sword down on Jojo's head, Star Platinum, being as fast as he is, just grabs the sword with both palms, just clamps clamps down on it, and mm-hmm. then just breaks the sword in half. Yeah. <laughs> and then Anubis uh, uh, thinks to himself that, like, ah, this is Star Platinum's true strength, the, the unflappable uh, uh, Jojo and, and his split-second decision-making. And this is, like... Such a a reversal of how things usually go, right? Uh, um, mm. So many of these stand fights are won by exploiting a weakness of the user. Like, usually their pride and or hubris, most commonly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me explain to you how this works. Oh, no, you figured out a, a loophole in how this works. Uh, yeah. But but now we get the reverse, that, that Star Platinum's power comes from JoJo. Mm-hmm. Just punching good is kind of a shitty stand, but it's if it's this guy doing it, that that's why he he's such trouble. Yeah, that meeting of nine cloaked figures was one of them. Just a sword in a robe, <laughs> just kind of yeah. hopping around. Yeah, wait a minute, or is it just yet another guy that that was being controlled by the stand at that moment? Anubis took over a guy to go to a meeting, and then was like, "This guy sucks. Actually, he irritates me." <laughs> I'm going yeah. to arrange for him to die so I can get left on a road and, and found by a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Not you, whole horse. I, a boy who has a cow. <laughs> Does Dio talk to the sword instead of the guy? 
<laughs> Does he look down at the sword and make eye contact with that instead? Dio's a very good manager, so so he uh, <laughs> uh, he's mastered that sort of soft skill. So now that Jojo has has snapped the blade in two, mm-hmm. Polnareff has you know has realized that hey, when the sword is unsheathed, it it, it controls whoever is holding it. Um, so what we need to do is take this sheath and get the sword back in it without touching the sword itself. Yeah, very, very gently, nice and easy, nice. Mm-hmm. And okay, phew, they got the, the sheath back on the sword. You know, don't don't touch the, the, the hilt, don't touch the handle at all. And so then the police come and are like, oh. hey, hey, what's all this then? What's going on here? And I really wanted him to be like, hey, you, I recognize you. You're wanted in Hong Kong and Singapore <laughs> and India. Yeah, God, there's a lot of cops that want the, these guys at this point. <laughs> but but no, he, he's just very interested in, in what's going on with, with this sword and, and all the, the hullabaloo. And there there is a struggle for the sword, and it eventually comes unsheathed in the hand of Jean-Pierre Polnareff. Mm. Oh my God. The greatest danger is realized. What if Polnareff wasn't a dumbass? <laughs> oh no. He gets immediately possessed by anubis he strikes that he strikes the cop down mm-hmm. um and and jotaro is getting really worried that he's probably gonna have to like fuck polnareff up real bad yeah he's confident in his ability to win he is not at all confident in his ability to win with polnareff surviving the encounter <laughs> yeah and so there's a bit here where polnareff is just fighting with uh one hand behind his back mm-hmm Swinging around the broken Anubis so fast that Star Platinum is like barely keeping up with the blows and deflecting them with his hands. Yeah, as he is fighting two stands at once, like he, he's not uh, only getting one sword, there's also a ghost sword in the mix. Yeah. As he's parrying away all these blows with his studded knuckle gloves. Yeah, and there's a part where Polnareff swings down the sword, and it's the same situation again where Star Platinum is going to use his hands to grab the blade midair mid-swing but this time anubis never loses to the same trick twice yeah so he swings even faster and uh uh, the only thing star platinum can do to save himself is headbutt a sword (laughs) yeah he headbutts a sword i would like a full and accurate historical accounting of every person to headbutt the blade of a sword and come out on top i'm pretty sure it's just star platinum I don't know if the, the the tiara thing on Star Platinum's head helps. Is that metal? Is that I just guess. a part of him? I, I don't guess. Know. But either way, he fucking headbutts that thing. A shard of it goes flying into Star Platinum's shoulder. But as after he headbutts it, he just takes both hands that were previously in the, the position to grab the sword and like in the same position, just uses them to like double chop the side of Polnareff's neck real hard and sends him mm-hmm, flying mm-hmm. into a tree. <laughs> So so everyone is collapsed uh, from that strike, both, both Jojo and Polnareff and all of their stands. It's very crowded for a two-person fight. Mm-hmm. Polnareff's next big move is to have his two swords, like, spinning like helicopter blades, uh, uh, becoming sort of sword shields. This is how General Grievous learned that move. He is a Jojo <laughs> reader. Yeah, yeah. This is a very uh, a Revenge of the Sith episode all of a sudden. Wait, well, how did that hmm. happen? What happened? Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, the, we got this dual-wielding silver chariot. Mm-hmm. Star Platinum is, like, blow for blow, punching every swing of the sword to deflect them. But you can see that 
Jojo is taking damage from this. He's just like flinching every couple of blows, some blood shooting out of random parts of his his body. Uh, and he's just getting slowly like pushed back. Mm-hmm. Jojo's trying to think of something to, to do to end this fight. And so he kicks Silver Chariot hard on, on the leg. So it starts falling over. And hey, he pulls out Starfinger again. Yeah, yeah. That that opens up a, a, a hole in the defense uh, by his shoulder. A hole big enough for fingers to get through. <laughs> yeah, he shatters off a piece of like his shoulder armor. Which is the same as activating his double fast armor shedding mode. So there are unintended consequences, which is always the case when you finger your friends, Jojo. Learn this lesson. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. There's a brief bit here where like a... Uh, wow, why can I not think of the word for this? Not a fire extinguisher, a fire hydrant. Uh, gets fucked up and they're just like fighting with the water spewing in between them. I think mm-hmm. just to look cool. <laughs> Anubis sort of pops out. Like we, we see this ghostly yeah. uh, uh, image that is basically a depiction of the god Anubis, you know, jackal headed and whatnot. Does mm. that mean there's a bird headed dude that can come out of the comic book? Hmm. I wonder. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, but But this is setting up a a very crowded frame where two people are fighting, but also three full humanoid stands filling (laughs) all going head to head in in a very crowded frame. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty, pretty goofy. So Jojo gets stabbed in the gut with the sword, like the, the broken Anubis sword. Yes. It's gone like an inch or two into Jojo and it's only not being driven clean through him because Star Platinum has just grabbed the blade with his fingers and is trying to keep it from getting getting pushed into him deeper. Yeah, yeah. And Anubis is like, I got you, bro. I got you. I'm going to split you open and all your guts are going to fall out and it's going to be gushy. You know it is. <laughs> There's not enough black ink in the world to hide how gushy this is going to be. And and Jojo very uncharacteristically is like, oh, no, please. If, if you stab me any further, it'll be murder. Don't do it. Oh, no. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, it is. That's the I want to do murder. It's my job. And <laughs> this is Star Platinum's cue to like a double fisted jackhammer. Just punch the sword to pieces left, right, left, right as it gets yes. essentially mulched in his, his grinding <laughs> fists. <laughs> It's, it's really like you see a close up of it because like the front two inches or whatever of the tip of this, this broken blade are stuck in his in his gut. And every time he punches the sword, it like Polnareff falls forward a bit. So it connects again with the tip that's still embedded in him. Holding it in place for the next chunk to get punched away. <laughs> yeah. And snapped off. It, it's like a pencil getting sharpened way too much. First off, yeah, he's right. That's a dude that never flinches. Good good eye, Anubis. Like, mm-hmm. damn. But second, his abdominal wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The strength required to act as the anvil, to hold this sword steady for a, a snap rather than just a, a deflection. Mm-hmm. God damn. <laughs> Jojo is full of meat. Oh, God. And you know, you know his abs are strong as hell, because once, you know, uh, uh, the danger passes and Polnareff collapses, he just sort of flexes to gush that, that last bit yeah. of sword out of his guts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was almost like he used his abs to grab onto the blade and it never even pierced him. <laughs> it's gross as hell. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so they're walking away. Uh, uh, Polnareff is like, whoa, what happened? Did I touch the sword? I, I hope I hope I didn't do anything too bad to you. And JoJo's like, just shut the fuck up. I need to talk to Grandpa and lie down. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks. Like, after the whole blade got destroyed, Star Platinum grabs the, the handle of that's you know, all that's remaining of Anubis, and he just punches it, double fisted so hard that it just shatters into dust. And then yeah. you, you see like Anubis go like, fuck, and he just blows up. <laughs> <laughs> so so they're collecting themselves, and uh, th- this little boy, this, this child with a lollipop, uh, uh, sees the first thing to, to be removed from the sword, that, you know, it's top half. That got snapped off uh, by the palms, which is now the host of the ghost. Anubis mm-hmm. lives in in that uh, uh, initially broken part now. And he walks over and he picks up this pretty cool shining sword and he becomes immediately evil. <laughs> An incredibly <laughs> evil child. Mm-hmm. Anubis hates the taste of lollipops. He despises this thing in his mouth and spits it out. <laughs> and so Anubis starts monologuing here. The original stand user of Anubis is the guy who forged the sword 500 years ago. Making Anubis the oldest stand we have ever seen. Um, And he's just been hopping from guy to guy since then. Even after his original user died, he he is continuing to live on. He explains that the reason why he wants to work for Dio is because Dio saved him from being in a museum. (laughs) A fate worse than death. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, this kid uh, with with the sword does a weird little pose, mm-hmm. kind of the splits, sort of, holds the blade up like it's a boomerang, and he just fucking pitches it. He just pitches the blade at uh, Jotaro and, and Polnareff. At least he tries, because at the, the last moment, his footing is thrown off because Iggy is here, and <laughs> Iggy wants that dropped lollipop. Yeah. And as Iggy dives for a sweet little snack, it, it throws off the, this evil child's footing, which throws off his aim, and Anubis throws himself directly toward the Nile River. <laughs> The worst place, the last place he wants to be because he's afraid he, he will fall into it and rust away and die. Yeah. Iggy's the MVP. Absolutely MVP. Iggy has won every battle since he's mm-hmm. been introduced. Iggy, yeah, Iggy is the, the secret, like the fucking secret weapon. No one even knows they're winning these fights because Iggy's just being a shitty dog and fucking everyone up. <laughs> <laughs> he's just fucking the bad guys up harder. Yeah. I have I have one question for any of the the uh, JoJo readers that are joining us. How many pages is Anubis's final flight? Because this feels <laughs> yeah. like it could have been an entire chapter of monologuing <laughs> from this sword as as yeah. it is thrown half the length of a, the city of Aswan. Jesus Christ! Yeah, he he is hurtling towards the Nile, freaking out. Please, anything get in my way to stop me from just rocketing towards here. And oh, phew! There's like a a, a waist high wall, like a uh, some ruins of a building. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna hit that. I'm gonna get lodged in that. But because he's freaking out and nervous, he accidentally phases himself through the wall. Uh huh. Uh-huh. That power he has. Yes. Yeah. And he go. He's just like, fuck! I'm so nervous. <laughs> I just went through. I fucked up and I went through the wall. I panicked. And then he thinks, oh, okay, a boat. I will lodge into the timbers of the boat, and that sailor is, is going to wedge me out, and then I'll possess the sailor, and then we're back in business, ba- baby. Mm-hmm. Th- th- there's like a wave or something, and he misses the boat, and then he thinks, shit, okay, I'm going to be a cow now. 
Yeah, he he lodges himself into the ass of a cow that's on the boat instead. And this cow freaks out. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to possess the cow and just like shouting like fucking cool like calm down you stupid cow and Instead, so the cow is just losing its shit. It's like running into stuff. It uh, uh, kicks the side of the boat so hard it breaks off a railing. It tips the boat over. It falls into the water. It nearly falls into the water. Uh, uh, oh, its yeah. hooves are still up on deck. I hope that cow is okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> but but that fall shakes the, the blade loose. And the, the blade uh, uh, and Anubis within it do fall to to the bottom of the Nile, as was Anubis's greatest fear. And then he just starts yelling at fish. He's trying to possess the fish. He calls him... He's, like, getting really desperate. He's trying to be, like, polite. Like, he's calling the fish... The, the fish... Fishies. Mm-hmm. He sees some crabs, and he addresses them as Mr. Crab. Hey, Mr. Crab, it's a pleasure to meet you. Is, is says the stand that has been one of the most foul and, and <laughs> aggressive and absolutely, like, violent... Uh, uh, stands we've ever heard speak is just a, a cheery little guy desperate to, to to nail this job interview i guess <laughs> yeah i don't understand what he was going to do with the fish at least a crab could conceivably pick you up i know what he's going for there it mm-hmm. still does not work and then yeah. the narrator returns yes the narrator has to tell us about the different kinds of guy <laughs> The narrator tells us about several of the the ethnicities present in in the multicultural landscape of Egypt in order to swerve and say, "Uh ah-ah, but here is a very specific lady. Mm. And we get some shots of, I guess, most of the costume of who is surely our next stand user, who we will meet next week. Mm -hmm. It is a hot lady sashaying around and all the dudes are like, damn, Look at that chick. And then it's just to be continued. There's a hot lady. Watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Something that really struck me in in these uh, three episodes, in these two fights, and comparing them to last week, is like, if there is one solid difference between before Egypt and in Egypt, it is that enemies are now characters as a rule. Yep. We care about their lives. We care about their relationships. Why they follow Dio is is important. And uh, I mean, with Oingo and Boingo, they can be a, a point of view characters. They, they could be yeah. the heroes of an episode. <laughs> an unusual, especially comic episode, sure, but it still counts. Mm-hmm. Like, we haven't cared this much about a random schmo's backstory since Blueford and Tarukas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and every single stand user in all of Part 2 Star's Crusaders, every single one of them is like that. They are all, like, actual developed, like, solid characters, and the show is so much better for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's so much, at least so far, so much more uh, um, naturally or organically done than, say, Blueface... Bluefis and Trukard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where they show up and now it's flashback time, which is the way, I mean, every character was in part one. But like, yes. no, if, if if we're going to say that Indul is a character, that means we get to just have the camera on Indul for a while without any mm-hmm. of the heroes uh, interrupting his thoughts. Yeah. Like it's some of the, the stand users, especially the ones that get defeated in one episode in, in part two here. Despite them having about the same amount of screen time as Tarukas and Blueford, they feel way better developed in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Because there, there's such a contrast between the stand uses of, of the first half and the second half, the two arcs, 
when the first arc of Stardust Crusaders ended in the manga, was there like a brief amount of time where it went on hiatus while he was working in the second part? Because it feels like such a leap. Yeah. Like like a leap, like an improvement so drastically over one episode. It feels like there must have been like some time spent working on the second part or something. Or was it just week by week the whole time? I don't know. Well, let's find out. Hmm. Duel was introduced in chapter 183. Mm-hmm. August of 1990. Okay. High Priestess Part 4 was published the week before. Wow. <laughs> Earlier August of 1990. What the hell? There really was just like a big leap from one chapter to the next. Or I don't know, maybe just like after doing Duel and going like, hey, I liked how that worked. Just every, the, the decision was made right after that to make every other enemy stand user like that. Mm-hmm. I really thought there would, would have been a... Uh, some time between those. But yeah, the, these three episodes are, they're great. They're super solid. Yeah. Every new fight now, we're getting a new type of stand that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. We're, we're mm-hmm. not suddenly getting another stand that feels kind of like strength or Wheel of Fortune again or anything like that. They, they're all pretty different and unique. Uh, I like Anubis for bringing up the idea that a stand can live on after its user is, has died. Yes, yes. That's a fun one. Stands that are completely autonomous. I do like the idea of like star platinum hanging out, walking the street. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, don't you belong to that guy? Ora, ora, ora. <laughs> oh, I'm Aww. sorry. My condolences. <laughs> I'm ora, so sorry to hear ora, that. Ora, ora, ora. <laughs> God, imagine if all stands talked like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be back uh, uh, next time then, uh, going mm-hmm. back to two episodes at a time for. Almost the rest of the season. That that's just the way. <laughs> it's just what we're working with. Uh, uh, <laughs> to to talk about th- this lady who wears a dress with some sort of string laced through <laughs> uh, uh, holes in in the the hem. That's fun. Uh, yeah, you, you probably can't machine dry that, but that's her problem, <laughs> not mine. Something you wear once. <laughs> it's for a very special event, and that's a stand fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once again, thank you all for listening. Uh, there is some stuff I'd like to ask you to do, but you've been listening to enough of these episodes. You know exactly what I'm going to say. So I don't even Ooh. have to say it. I'm just going to think it real hard and you're going to know what I'm thinking because we're connected. I'm Oingo, you're Boingo. Which of us <laughs> is worse in this comparison? That's for you to decide. <laughs> so with that, to be continued. See you later, everybody.